Hi everybody, welcome to our podcast at Kirkliston Parish Church. You are more than welcome listening in and joining us today. This is Friday the 17th of March, which is also known as St. Patrick's Day. Um, Patrick was the patron or is the patron saint of Ireland and um, quite a remarkable story. He um, died on this day in the year 461, um, was captured, enslaved at the age of 16, and many years later um, felt a real sense and calling to spread the good news of salvation with the people of Ireland. In the process, establishing many prayer centers and monasteries, and um, to this day, He continues to have a rich legacy um, with his fervor and his passion for sharing the good news of Christ's redemption with the broken world. I hope that we'll be able to follow suit also in our discussion today as we look at a passage from John 9. This is the fourth Sunday in Lent. We started off discussing Jesus' temptation in the desert in the wilderness and how he resisted temptation accompanied by the spirit strengthening him giving him insight and wisdom and then we looked at the story of Nicodemus Jesus' encounter with the Pharisee the scholar the yeah head of the Sanhedrin and how we encourage him to be reborn and go through a process of rebirth and last week we stood still at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, giving her living water that will quench her thirst forevermore. And today we have another conversation, more like an encounter as well, where Jesus meets a man born blind and how he heals him and how that changes and transforms his life forevermore. So let's prepare our hearts and our minds for what God wants to teach us through this passage. Wherever you are, I encourage you, I uh, implore you to sit as comfortable as you possibly can in your chair or your seat, or maybe you're out walking as you listen to this. Uh, Just focus on our Lord Jesus Christ for a few moments. Father, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you bless us with your presence. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be accepting in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. John 9 reads as follow. This is Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, 
This word means sent. So this man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. The Pharisees then investigated the healing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? They were divided. They then turned again to the blind man. What have you said and seen about him? It was your eyes that was opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly persons who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, 
You have seen him now. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there heard him and said, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, you are guilty and your guilt remains. Thanks be to God for this reading from his holy word. <coughs> Excuse me. Friends, it's happened to all of us. Picture this. You're on your way to Ingleston Park and Ride to catch the tram into the city centre for a nice dinner or a show at the Usher Hall. And as you take a left from Lachen Road onto Glasgow Road, the deafening hoot of the X-38 bus blasts in your ear. Ah! Uh, the driver waves his hands in the air as he passes, and you can almost hear him say, Oh, come on, get out of the way. How did I miss him? You ask yourself. Suddenly, Mr. McLaughlin, your driving instructor from years ago, appears from nowhere. Remember to check all your mirrors and to glance over your right shoulder for the blind spot. I mean, who's never had that experience before? Blind spots can be hazardous. According to Transport Scotland, failure to look properly was the most frequently reported contributory factor involved in 30% of all reported accidents. That's a lot. That's almost a third of accidents could have been prevented if people paid more attention to their blind spots. We as humans... We have blind spots too. One psychology dictionary summarizes blind spots as follows. A lack of insight or awareness, often persistent, about a specific area of one's behavior or personality, typically because recognition of one's true feelings and motives would be painful. It's a way of protecting ourselves. Yeah, Being blind to our weaknesses or our shortcomings. Someone else said, psychological blind spots are those personal characteristics that we do not want to recognize. A good starting point to discover them is to focus on our most intense reactions, a very intense emotional reaction or an unusually strong opinion may indicate that deep down there is an unacceptable or undesirable inner impulse. In fact, we usually react intensely to the undesirable characteristics that we see in others. This is fascinating. What you dislike in others is a projection of your own struggle. Could that be true for you as well? That's why in our story, no one seems to believe what's happening right there in front of them. It's just too good to be true. They want to be blind to what's happened. Make no mistake, this is an incredible miracle. The late neurologist Oliver Sacks once pointed out, for once blind people to function, they need to have 
not just their optic hardware repaired, but they need to get the necessary mental software installed too. The ability to see is one part, a physical phenomenon, but also one part, a mental exercise. Functioning as a sighted person requires having access to a long backlog of visual experience. Without that, there is no perception of death, for example. Biblical scholars believe this narrative in John 9 should be read as a Greek play with seven scenes, and each scene is riddled with blind spots. The seven scenes are, and we're just quickly going to run through them. Jesus heals the man, verse 1 to 7. The neighbors question the man, 8 to 12. The Pharisees question him, 13 to 17. The Jews question the parents, 18 to 23. The Jews converse again with the man, 24 to 34. And then Jesus comes back. Jesus revisits the man in 35 to 39. And Jesus challenges the Pharisees in the last two verses. It's noticeable that Jesus is absent from scenes 2, 3, 4 and 5. These four center sketches form the longest passage in the Gospels without Jesus in it, aside from the infancy narratives. Why would the light of the world leave the stage for so long? Does the absence of light help us to discover the blind spots of the characters and consequently our own spiritual blindness? The punchline of this episode is this. That those who think they can see are blind to the truth, while the one who was blind is the one who actually sees. Jesus has come to illuminate and bring into light prejudices, biases, judgments, bigotry, and just sin and rebellion, unhealthy habits that ruin our relationship with Him, with ourselves, and with the world. For our time together, we'll be focusing on a, on a few blind spots, what they mean and how it relates to our lives. The first blind spot we find is the disciples. And they ask him as they pass. They almost see the, this man as a, as a project, as a science project. Jesus, who sent this man or his parents? The disciples tried to make a connection between bad things and God. God must have been mad at someone to produce a guy like this. So who messed up, Lord? This fellow or his folks? In the first century, blindness was connected to sin. If you were blind, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It was God's justice. It was God's punishment for sin. It makes us feel less vulnerable, yeah? If we can understand the cause of misfortune. Because that might help us to avoid it. That's how a lot of people operate. You see something bad, you chalk it up to someone's sin and make God out to be the one who punishes sin. The universe operates on the principle of quit broke away, a tit for tat. Oddly though, when the people in this story encounter the profoundly good thing of an awesome healing, they do everything in their power to not connect the good thing to God. Some, it seems, are more comfortable with making God out to be the dispenser of punishment than the decanter 
of something good. Apparently it's fully possible to be in the presence of the light of the world and still be in the dark. Wearing spiritual sunglasses block out the light of goodness. So do we do this? Do you sometimes do this? Do you categorize people according to your own biases and prejudices in terms of you feeling that you've got the power to decide whether someone is good enough, worthy enough of value to God? What a blind spot that is for us. You know, we read in John chapter 3 that Jesus didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to judge. Neither is that our responsibility. Sometimes we're guilty of that. Maybe you've done that even today or in the last week. A second spline spot has to do with community. How did the community respond? Very shortly, they didn't recognize this man. It is striking how little his neighbors knew about him or even of him. They saw mostly his condition. They mostly saw his condition, his shortcomings or his sins. Sometimes we do that with people as well. You know, it, it often happens, I hear that the way people speak, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, is that something that someone's done defines them. In my mind, that's all I see. Some sin that they are guilty of, or whether they are a widow, or whether they were separated from someone, or whatever it is that they are conjured up in. That almost becomes a blind spot. That's almost all I can see of this person. That's the same for the community. This person has become, and will always be, in their eyes, a blind person that can contribute nothing. And because of his lack of actual contribution, his social standing, He's been written off by the community. And we do the same. We sometimes treat people as commodities, as people being useful to us. And if they can't contribute in the way we think they should, do we write them off? Many of us do it. I remember a story of friends of ours visiting a congregation, an independent young church plant, and I distinctly remember my friend saying they felt like pieces of furniture. They were only useful when they could be used for something. They were only regarded as such and seen when they could make a financial contribution, when they could serve. And this story tells us that everyone absolutely everyone is created in God's image, whether we contribute or not, whether we're in a financially stable position to give, to tithe, or whether we have gifts or talents. God sees past that. He looks into the human heart and he recognizes, especially those that are on the margins, not only when we're able to do something physically. That's besides the point. Jesus seeks after our heart and may we be guilty of that of just including people not based on you know how good they are or what they can produce but purely because we love them 
May we be guilty of that. But may we also encounter and address those blind spots. We're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of it too. Right, the second blind spot has to do with the Pharisees. Interestingly, the word Pharisee means people who have separated themselves. So for them, this healing takes place on a Sabbath and it is a sin. And therefore, this Jesus person could not be an effective healer since God doesn't listen to sinners. Yet the proof is right there in front of them. A man who was born blind and had never been able to see his entire life is now able to see and function in the world completely. Not just that, kneading, making mud with spittle, was one of the prohibited activities on the Sabbath. So was putting spittle on eyelids. They have created a reality based on what they know, and it means having to reject what is actually true. Like the folktale, the emperor's new clothes are not clothes at all. Instead of celebrating and giving glory to God for a miracle, they use what they know to be right and true to protect the status quo. That's how the glory of God gets missed, even in the church today. Something of our own vulnerability is highlighted in the process. Their spiritual blindness is brought to the surface. The Pharisees thought God could not work through sinners or on sinners. Do you relate? Do you think God only works through certain people? Perhaps you've come to the conclusion that God can only work through you. Only you are gifted enough. Or you, only you know the system well enough. Or maybe you've reached a point where you can't look past your own spiritual pride or your self-righteousness. This, uh, this is something real to deal with. We all struggle with pride. We all battle with our egos. That's a, a blind spot that's quite hard to address. And then... We reach the parents, the man's parents. They are these people pleasers. That's their blind spot. They can't stand up for what is good and righteous. They try to walk the tightrope between these two conflicting realities, knowing that the Pharisees are the power brokers in the synagogues and knowing that if the Pharisees deem that they have said the wrong thing, they would be kicked out of the community of faith. That's their main concern, staying inside, fear of rejection. What's for them also supposed to be a day of jubilant celebration, a homecoming. Never has anyone born blind been healed. Can you believe it? Becomes a day of critical analysis, negatively overreacting because of what's happened on the Sabbath. Doesn't confirm to convention or adhere to the rules and the regulations, similar to the Pharisees. Maybe you're a people pleaser. Maybe you always say yes. Maybe you struggle to say no out of fear of rejection. Or maybe you need to stand up for justice and righteousness. That's another blind spot. Many Christians and followers of Jesus <coughs> struggle with. Bringing us to the blind man himself. Maybe not a blind spot, but he was blind. The center of our attention. He ends up being the only one 
who smiles. That's so tragic. How can that be? Again, for the third time we say a grand miracle has taken place. And everyone despises of it. No one sees it. Apart from the healed man and Jesus, of course. The healed man doesn't get caught up in the confusing questions of the religious leaders. Like whether Jesus is a sinner or not. The healed man says what he knows to be the flat truth. He healed me. His vision has brought him a clarity that we might all admire. Vision brings wisdom. Do we sometimes miss the joy that's supposed to shape our lives? Do you rejoice with gladness when others succeed? Do you celebrate with others? Or have we lost this ability? Driven out of their presence, the healed man finds himself back with Jesus. Jesus finds him and makes known even more clearly what the healed man is coming to realize. Jesus is the Messiah. The healed man not only knows the utmost reality, he believes it to be true. He worshipped Jesus without hesitation, without checking in into any catechism or rule book to see if worshipping this man would be an orthodox thing to do. He removes all that is known, focusing completely on Christ. Blind no more. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We'll sing that shortly. But here's the clincher. The man never asked to be healed. Did you notice that? The man has not expressed faith or asked for healing. His role is passive until he washes in the pool of Siloam. From the Greek word apostolmenos, which means saint. Which we get the word apostle, of course. And it happens after he's willing to lay it all down. Even his own skepticism. Do you not think he's already tried everything? Every ointment and cure. Every doctor to help him see. It's never been done before. But he takes the plunge once more. Facing his blind spots in pursuit of sight. He obeys. He washes. And he sees Jesus for who he is. It's interesting, the early church associated this healing with baptism. It appears in many catechumen art as an example of baptism. Anointing and spittle were adopted as part of the baptismal ceremony, reminding us that we belong to Christ, the one who entered darkness so that we can confront our own blind spots and consequently our own sin. Through his life, death and resurrection, Jesus has given us new eyes to see. Through the grace of baptism, he shares his vision. May you, today and in this week, confront your blind spots so that we can glorify God. May you avoid the buses as you identify your shortcomings and weaknesses. And may you see more clearly God's vision for you. Amen. Glory be to God forever and ever. Have a blessed week. Amen.